attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. Today's guest on the podcast, David Gertz. I went to David's house while I was on the road, had a great time. I felt really terrible. They put out a big spread for me, and I was in such a rush because I had back-to-back interviews scheduled. I didn't get to take part. So I officially apologize for that. We shared some great stories. Uh, He had a long run at camp, 59 to 71. So he really saw a couple different eras of camp and was there for a uh, a lot of fun stuff, and he shares a little bit of that. He even showed me he had this super cool keychain. Maybe I'll put a picture of that up with the podcast, this uh, 40th anniversary keychain that I had never seen. No one I know had ever seen. It was a really cool Ojibwa artifact. So you're going to really enjoy this one. Before we get to that, of course, OJ90 is coming. The 90th anniversary next May. Go to OJ90.com and you can check out a little teaser video and you can get signed up on our newsletter and find out all about all the details to come about the upcoming 90th summer celebration for Camp Ojibwa. Of course, bricks are still available. You can swing by campojibwahistory.org, pick up your brick if you have yet to do so. Uh, get them while they're hot, my friends. Okay, enough housekeeping. Here we go. David Kurtz on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. David Gertz. I was at camp from 1959 through 1971. Uh, camper, junior counselor, counselor, assistant waterfront director, waterfront director, camp bugler, Braves <laughs> drummer, uh, camp projectionist, uh, but I'm, I'm tooting my own horn. <laughs> but so, I'm, I was a so bugler, speak, so I can do that. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, how did you first hear about camp? I can remember back to when Al came up to my house. Mm. Um, it, and I, he sets up the slide projector. I'm pretty sure Mickey, I mean, obviously, I think it was Mickey and Al who came over. We were sort of neighbors because mm. Al and Pearl lived uh, not very far from us. On the near north side. I was going to say it's downtown, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, so they came and set up the projector and did their spiel. I think it was a foregone conclusion that I was mm. going to be going to camp. Nice. Um, but a uh, funny story, my brother was there and he, I, it must have been Christmas break or spring break. 
obviously before the summer started. Sure. And so Al does his spiel and um, he says, uh, you didn't need counselors? And my brother's eyes widened. <laughs> and Al said, sure, we can always use some good counselors. Steve, you're going to go there and watch your little brother. Nice. <laughs> my brother's like nine and a half, ten years older than me. So, yeah. so my brother went and he was, so he, he was there in 59. Mm. And he was kind of a uh, famous guy for many years at camp because he was uh, a big guy. He was 6'4", dark, mm. and uh, good looking. And he was in between semesters he was transferring from UCLA or from uh, University of Wisconsin to UCLA ah that's a nice time to go to UCLA yeah and (laughs) and, and he was everybody thought looked at him like kind of a movie star type guy so he got the nickname Rory which I guess back in those days was a movie star name nice so uh, Rory Gertz everybody knew him and he was known for he could he could pop a, a softball in the lake wow um and uh, I think it had to be a new softball because they were kind of rock hard. Sure, 16-inch. you get a little extra bounce out of that. Yeah, <laughs> but I know there, there, there were guys who could hit the road, but my brother was known for the lake ball. Oh, that's tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes up with you, he's taking care of you. Yeah. Um, oh, the, the other caveat that my parents told Al was, um, we want David to be in the same cabin as, uh, as one of my playmates mm-hmm. who was up there. Um, kid named Simon Mizrak. And I got to camp, and I was in cabin three, and he was in cabin four. Oh. So I don't know what happened. Probably my brother got involved. Sure. The protector. And I was moved into cabin four. Nice. And Simon Mizrak never came back after this year, so go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, so do you take the train up still at that point? Yes, we took the, uh, at least the, f- I think the first few years I was there, mm-hmm. we took the train. Do you remember and what that was like? kind of, I remember having an upper berth mm. and I had a, there was another camper there who was loosely related to me mm. and I think we shared the bunk up there on the way up, but I, I remember not sleeping. It was just like, you know, it's, we're going to camp. Yeah. And all the excitement. Yeah. And so, how old are you when you... Nine. You're nine first I'm year. nine years old, yeah. It's always amazing how young, you know, <laughs> just ship them off, stick them on a train, they're fine. Yep. <laughs> I just I just was at, with Joe Bine, who was an original camper, as it turns out. I wasn't sure that he was. I knew he was early. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he said that he was just freshly five years old. He had just turned five. Five years old. And, and oh, my like, God. There you go. And didn't have, didn't know anyone, didn't have any connections. Yeah. His dad was friendly with Al from years before mm-hmm. and that was the only connection and he had never even met Al so those stories are just <laughs> incredible uh, it's funny how it changes um, so what's the first thing you remember about camp <laughs> probably getting transferred to Kevin Ford um, <laughs> right. um, God, I don't know I just I have you know sporadic memories of different years at camp I don't, sure. I don't remember a lot about my first year except the friends that I made that went from cabin to cabin mm. with me for Who those some years. Of those guys? Um Ricky Lieberman was my good friend. Um and we actually played the I went up to his house when uh 
in the off season. Mm. Um, because I was, most of the kids at camp, it seemed, were from the northern suburbs, right. Planko or Highland Park, and I was, I was an inner city youth. <laughs> right. The deprived kids from Lakeshore Drive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it started really to transfer at that time over the, over yeah. like the, because the early 50s, it's still South Sides. You're still getting yeah. South Sider kids. Yeah. And then it starts working its way up. And yeah. These days, the South Side kid come to camp would, would break camp. Like, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> no yeah, one's we, ready for that. Yeah, we had our group of South Side kids and we had uh, some North Side kids, but mostly they were Northern suburbs. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, it was, you know, I, I made kids in my cabin. Um, who else? I'm trying to think of, I mean, I remember names. Michael Hausman and Louis Schwartz, mm. who was kind of a famous, because he was, he was the long ball hitter. I've heard he was a, an incredible athlete. Yeah, yeah, Louis was a great athlete. Yeah. I was not known as an athlete. I was going to ask, were you a sports guy going in? I was not a sports guy going in, and uh, my early years I was known as the shop guy, and um, sure. uh, I was a swimmer, though. Mm. Um, I was a... And uh, uh, so that's that's what I got known for. And later, I kind of grew into my my athleticism at sure, camp. Of course, um, but mainly I was a swimmer. I, but I was number two. Steve Katz was always number one. Ah, Steve Katz. <laughs> Steve Steve was bigger and stronger than me. <laughs> he was always my nemesis in the water. I just so. spent a night in Vail uh, with Steve. Oh, you did on the on the way here. And yeah, uh, yeah we were talking another, about some of that. Another one of those guys that we went through all the way. Oh, yeah. Through the camp years with Steve. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I wasn't, I was uh, my first, probably two or three years at camp in Kalicha Week, I was known as what's, uh, as a giveaway. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in later years those would become hat picks. Uh, the same sort of thing. Okay. Uh, five names and five X's and a hat, you had to draw one. Uh, you got you got it. No, but back in those <laughs> days, it was just, okay, you go over to that team, you go over to that team, you go to that team. But my very first year as that giveaway, I was on the winning collegiate week team. Wow. 50, 59? 59, Army. Very nice. Is that with Elliot? Is Elliot also on that team? Or is he... Was Elliot? I don't, I don't remember. I just remember the coach was Artie Berman. Oh, I think it is. I think Elliot yeah. is also on that team. Elliot Friedman. Who yes. Oh, sure. Elliot of course. and I were good friends for a while. Yeah. Quite a while. Yeah, I think... Um, that may be, though, the story was, he may not have done the whole summer. He may have come or had to leave for part of the summer because something was going on or maybe left early. So his name's on the plaque, but as he will tell you, he didn't score a point. He didn't touch a football. He didn't. <laughs> yeah. I was probably in that same group. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was on two winning teams, I think. I don't remember what the second one was, but I remember Army. Well, you mentioned being a swimmer. Now, you still had to swim the islands back then, right? We did the islands. Or got swim. to swim yeah, the islands. Yeah, the, the one island, two island. I did my two island. Very nice. Well, you do your four pier, and then your one island, and then your two island. Yeah. So. It's incredible. I mean, today, uh, we, the, the swim zone does not go past the raft. Oh. So the idea of swimming, even yeah. swimming to the island, is insane. Let alone swimming around an island or around two islands. It's just so different. Yeah. I remember all the rowboats with, you know, they... Uh, be there to guide you and mm -hmm. watch over everybody and the whole trail of kids swimming all the way around. Wow. That's, it's incredible. It's just so hard to fathom. Yeah. You were saying that you weren't necessarily a big sports guy, but you come in, you have leagues. Are there sports that do appeal to you, even though you're not maybe terribly great at them? Well, I, like, I'd always wished that I was 
I think what kept me back was the fact that I wasn't a good athlete, so I was kind of the sort of the spazzy one out yeah. on the, the ball field, although sure. I like playing. And in my later years, I did get fairly decent at tennis. Mm. Um, basketball, I could maybe because I'm not that tall, although you know, average height, but not so much into basketball. I yeah. was, I was the, the shop guy and the riflery guy. My brother, my first year, my brother was the riflery instructor. Ah. And um, there's a postcard. Mm -hmm. There are two rifle range postcards. Yeah. The mm -hmm. second one, that's me on the far right. Oh, that's awesome. It was, I was just looking at it. Jim Aberman on the left. I don't know who the second guy was. The third guy is Artie Fellner. And the fourth guy is me. That's awesome. Uh, Talk, tell me a little bit about the shop, about being the shop guy. So one thing I just saw when I was visiting Katz is he has his uh, plaques that you made. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this. I, I wish I still had mine and my trophies. I think when my parents moved out of Chicago, they, mm. I was in college and they tossed this stuff. Of course. It's a bummer. But I remember you had to go in the, and sand your plaque down and make it all nice and smooth. And, uh, and then they, I guess, I think they stenciled. Mm -hmm. Camp things on there, and then at the end of the year, you had the little medallions. Yep, little gold medallions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those, and it's not a huge period of time that you that camp does those. So those were the uh, first ones I'd seen at all. I, I'd heard about them, uh, but they're the first ones I'd seen any proof of. But I think they, maybe only from the mid fifties until they switch them out for paper certificates in the sixties. Oh, really? Yeah. That's too bad. So that like 66 cool. or so, it's just on paper, and then every time you do a thing, instead yeah. of the medallion, you get like an X. Yeah. And someone signs off on I it. I wish I still had my plaques. Yeah. I still have uh, quite a bit of Ojibwa stuff, a lot of photographs. I've got all the warriors from all the years I was there. Awesome. All the camp photos, um, and my Ojibwa jacket. Very nice. Yes. I didn't even know those were a thing until I started this. And uh, someone just so casually was like, oh yeah, my bar mitzvah jacket. My bar mitzvah like, jacket. What are you talking about? And now a couple of guys have given them to the project, which is awesome. So yeah. we have a couple to, they're all way too small. So I can't just yeah. like wear one. Yeah, Al was pretty good at yeah, 13 years old. He kind of guessed what you'd grow into. <laughs> and he did a pretty good job yeah. so that you could wear it when you grew. And uh and I still have mine. It doesn't quite fit the way it used to, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's still fun to wear every now and then. That wool baseball jacket yeah. with the snaps—they're wonderful. They're and they're and they're beautiful too. I mean, they're really super colorful and the big logo—it's mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about those early years. What What are the things that stick out? What are the uh, crazy stories that happen? Oh, to crazy stories! Young David Camp. Um, can't think of any crazy stories with me. Or counselors, maybe, that you really connected with early on? I don't remember any I connected with. I remembered a lot of my, my counselors. Um, uh, Jim Schwartz was my cabin 12 counselor, I think. Uh, my first year, Ira Keeshan mm. was my counselor. Okay. And um, trying to... Uh, Larry Rosenberg was my counselor one year. Oh, my first year as a JC, my senior counselors were um, um, Scott Levenfeld and Sidney Harris. Wow. <laughs> Two um, 
infamous. Yes. <laughs> quite a combination. Camp names, yes. <laughs> it, that was quite a year. <laughs> and you're the only JC? I was the only oh. JC. Yeah, at the time, there were either either have one senior counselor and two junior counselors or two senior counselors and one junior counselor in, per cabin. So. Yeah. Uh, what about things like the Braves? Were you part of the Braves? I was the drummer of the Braves oh, right. my last year, which means I was the I was appointed the seventh seventh most most popular kid. So. <laughs> <laughs> the literal translation of the yes. positions. That's actually true. Yes. Uh, what's that like in those days? Now there's a little hazing. Uh, we've yeah, a little, a little, little hazing, as I remember. I, the, the the thing I mostly remember about the Braves is you're on silence and mm. you don't talk. <laughs> and it works. Like it, it works. People yeah. Respect the silence. <laughs> okay, you're off silence. <laughs> the the silence these days doesn't last as long I, as it was. Better when Nora would be followed by others. <laughs> for sure. Um, and and two, the the people requesting the silence don't have as many tools in their bag to enforce it as they once might right. have. Yeah. Of course. Um, so we talked a little bit about before we got on the mic that some of your later interests led toward the sort of artsier side of things. Um, as I mentioned and have mentioned on here before, I came in as the drama and music mm-hmm. guy. And <clears throat> at the time, thought, oh my God, I came to a sports camp. I'm the drama mm-hmm. guy at a sports camp. This isn't going to go well. Not knowing one of the great secrets of Ojubla is that it's always had just as much entertainment side as it has. Oh, sports. yeah, absolutely. Um, so did you take part and, in a lot and of I was stuff? I was involved well I, I tried out for the chorus every year and never made it mm. um, but I was in the when it started in the minstrel shows mm-hmm. I think I don't know if I was my first year but I know I was my second year and from then on I always had something to do with the shows from the minstrel show to the jubilee mm. and then I can't remember when this happened but at some point I became I don't know if the medicine man office next to the rec hall. Sure. That was always the point uh, where all the athletic equipment was handed out and the mail was distributed from there. Mm-hmm. And that's where the medicine man newspaper was printed on mimeograph. Of course. And I kind of, I, um, kind of moved into that area. Okay. So I was handing out the equipment and I was helping with the medicine man, mm. and all, and then you know that turned into jubilee programs, and um, I, and then I think I was maybe stage manager for the show, and yeah. you know, more on the technical aspect of theatrics. Yeah, working with Elliot. I was going to say now yeah. Elliot does a lot of that as well. So right. is he already in the medicine man? Elliot well? was basically the medicine man. I see. That was his domain. So that's how I became friendly with Elliot, hmm. and um, and it turned into maybe that sparked my interest in show business. Sure, that certainly wouldn't be, yeah. you wouldn't be the the last at least. You might have been the first, yeah. but you wouldn't be the last. I know one of my my uh, I'm big in in audio, and I think Elliot was one of the first people to get me interested in that. Hmm. He was always the big audio guy. Yes. He had all the equipment, and eventually I started. When I became a junior counselor, a counselor was uh, getting that. I had my tape recorder set up in there with my tapes that I listened to on the nice. on my off hours. Yeah, I've heard uh, legendary stories about Elliot and his hi fi and going <laughs> to camp and dueling with the other cabins and things like that. Yeah, that's funny. Any great Elliot stories that stick out? Any? Uh... Uh, 
is Mike, one of our Mike Fagan has all the Elliot stories. <laughs> <laughs> or Mike, I was going to say, as, as a couple of our longtime camp characters, uh, certainly Elliot on that list. But um, yeah, Mike, Mike and I were also good friends for quite a while. Um, and when I heard his podcast, I just emailed him, and uh, so we exchanged a few emails there. But, but we were good friends for quite a while. Yeah. Um, oh, let's see. Going back to my early days, I remember the first hike that I took on trip day. Oh boy. <laughs> In those days, those hikes were significant. It's not, I mean, today we don't even Well, I remember I was nine, so I was right. in, cabin, in cabin three, and I remember hiking to the Clearwater General Store. <laughs> I don't know, uh, you know, who knows why these kind of memories stick in your head, but I, I, I distinctly remember walking to the Clearwater General Store. Um, and then uh, all the, the canoe trips and fishing trips and they were all assigned and I think the only trip that a lot of people dreaded were fishing trips mm. <laughs> that still holds true there's, there's always yeah. five guys at camp who like fishing and everybody else uh-huh. is like eh, yeah whatever did you do the, uh, the overnight canoe trips in those days? yes we did the overnight canoe trips um, where they drop us off and Somewhere in Rhine, near Rhinelander, mm-hmm. I forget, I forget where it was, but yeah, we did a, I think it was a, was it a single night or two nights? I can't remember, mm-hmm. but I remember definitely remember doing that. Yeah, and uh, what other? I remember the town hike. That's the one that kills me. I just, I mean, we couldn't even pretend to do that today. Like <laughs> that's insanity. There, uh, the thing I remember about the town hike was. They used to boat us across the lake. You know, Al's good friend was J.L. Keeshan, right? who owned the estate on the other side of Catfish. And um, a couple things I remember about him. One, well, one was that we'd boat over to his property and go into town from there, so that made the, the hike shorter. Mm. Um, and, and then from there, it was probably just a, maybe three miles. From camp, it was like five miles. Right. But I remember, I think on the way back, we would walk the full distance all the way around and down, down the road, past the far field and around. Um, but I also remember JL had, uh, had a speedboat that and he and Al, best friends. Mm-hmm. So um, he had this speedboat, it was an old Chris Craft with the big fins like a Lincoln Continental. Oh, sure, yeah. And it was called the B Jack because <laughs> his wife was B and he was Jack. Very nice. And he would drive across the lake, and if he needed a hand, this is later when I was maybe in cabin 13 or junior counselor, he'd need a hand doing something on his property. So Al would say, uh, go, uh, go over with Mr. Keishan and give him a hand there, guys. So we'd go over and uh, do whatever he asked, and, and JL had a freezer full of, of, of goodies East from like uh, Dairy Queen. Oh, sure. So nice. Uh, at the end of every time we'd go over there, oh, you boys want a dilly bar? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Free labor for a dilly well, bar. Free, but <laughs> yeah. a dilly bar, that's incredible. Uh-huh. And then you got to take the speedboat too. Got to get a ride in the beach jack. Nice. That's awesome. So you mentioned being a junior counselor. As you move into being a counselor, How's that changed for you? How does the whole experience change from, from suddenly having to being a camper to suddenly having to take care of campers? From camper to junior counselor. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I remember as a junior counselor, let's see, we had to pay 
Mm. It was free, but we had to pay for our laundry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then waiting tables. That was a switch for... It's a whole new thing. Is that like your first job, probably? That was probably my first job, yes, it was. Um, so yeah, waiting tables and um, going in early, eating at, I don't know, 11.45, 12 with the other waiters and then setting up the tables and doing the whole run and after my I think my second my second year junior counselor Kenny Lewis was the head waiter and Kenny and I were friends and he got me on second staff it was called that was okay. the second most prestigious waiter's job <laughs> oh I see I assume you head staff guests. is number one head staff is number one I see second staff was the guests and oh, that's nice like that. so I was uh, second staff for most of my. You had a nice rotating year. crew in the guests. You probably have dads. And oh doctors yeah. Yep. And yep. Doctors' wives, maybe. Oh, yeah. and Very sure. nice people. <laughs> so yeah. I was I was an upscale wait- waiter. <laughs> and then did you and you still got to play in the leagues if you wanted or if you. It I yeah I'm pretty sure and then um, junior counselors you were assigned to a a collegiate week assistant coach mm-hmm. on a collegiate week team usually. Can't remember if I was or not. Danny might have passed me by because I knew I wasn't a big athletic guy. But I did, I did coach. I think I was a junior counselor. I coached a, a volleyball league team. Mm. Um, uh, I can't remember if we had junior volleyball and senior. I think it might have been yeah. some of the little younger kids, not real little kids, and I won. Very nice. So my name is on a plaque as a coach in the athletic nice. team. <laughs> <laughs> so you I have arrived. a couple of times, you coach a team, yeah, you got it all. Yeah. What more do you need? <laughs> That's tremendous. Um, <clears throat> so then making that transition from junior counselor to senior counselor. Yeah, which I was only a senior counselor one year mm-hmm. um, because I can't remember how it came about, but um, because of my waterfront prowess um i think like the assistant director left mid-year i don't know maybe he got fired i don't know Mm. and the waterfront director i don't know maybe oh marty salzman okay was my can't remember if he was my junior counselor or my counselor and i think he was my jc in cabin 12 okay if i remember correctly and I think Marty was assistant director or co-director and the waterfront director at the time, I think it was Harry Arkey, might have gotten relieved. I see, sure. And I think Marty went and talked to Denny and he said, uh, I really think Dave Kurtz would make a good assistant director. And then I think, as, even though I was a counselor in the cabin, they kind of assigned me to um, assistant director, and then the year after that, for the next two years, I was Marty's assistant. Oh, very nice. In the waterfront shack. In the shack. And then it's Marty. It's a great pull. Yeah. It's a great. <laughs> it's a great gig. Yeah. yeah. And then Marty left, and then I became director for a couple of years. Nice. My last two years. Very nice. Now you're there. You predate uh, like Dave Share and yeah. Jimmy Warren. Those guys being remember, the waterfront guys. I don't remember. Those so names, they must come so, alive. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe um, they're next because I think that it's pretty close timing wise. 
Nice. Yeah. So <laughs> I was head, head staff. <laughs> Very nice. Get to go to a head staff meeting. I mean, yeah. I assume I assume they had those. Then. No, 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 no. We didn't have head staff meetings. We just had counselor meetings, pretty yeah. much. I mean, the head staff was you know, Al, Mickey, and Denny. And, right. And they they did everything, but. Um, it, I remember one of the counselor meetings, one of the more humorous occasions. Denny uh, used to bring his dog to camp okay. every summer. Um, and so we were all in the counselor's lodge. And I think I was, uh, it was my first year as waterfront director. And I said, you know, asked me to give me a little speech. And I said, uh, you, know, just, you know, bear with me. You know, I, when I assign you to a spot on the waterfront, um, I know some of you don't like certain spots, but please don't give me any gas. And right at that moment, Denny's dog farted. <laughs> and the whole place cracked up. I'll never forget that. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's funny. And also just shows that being a waterfront director has never changed. That yeah. is <laughs> the whole job is getting guys to not complain about the spot they're assigned to. Right. No, you're taking cabin one fishing. I'm sorry. It's the job. Yeah. Another one of the waterfront jobs that was always fun was we were the fireworks guys on the 4th of July. Mm. And um, you know, Al would place the mortars on the beach and he would, he would go bless all the mortars. He would make sure they were exactly in the right position so that we didn't start the island on fire or something. Certainly. And then the waterfront guys were the ones who loaded them and, and lit them off. So Marty and I did that. And I think Mike Bagan, mm. the three of us, were lighting off the fireworks on the 4th of July, and there was always a spectacular display. Yeah. Al really went all out on that. It was, it was so spectacular that all the people from around the chains would drive their boats onto Catfish oh, and, nice. um, and come and watch the fireworks out on Catfish Lake. And That's very cool. The Camp Ojibwe fireworks. The fireworks, my first year, we still did the fireworks, but it was really the, the waning years. And mm -hmm. it was... Um, Denny was so worried about safety that it was light one. Everyone run, everyone freak out, everyone calm down, everyone run, one goes off. And then, okay, let's light one more. And it just, I mean, it took 30 minutes to light maybe six fireworks yeah. kind of a thing, you know. And then um, I actually skipped my second year. And that year, a firework flew back and landed on Cabin 13's roof. Oh, no. And nothing really happened, but that was yeah. it. That was the death knell of the... Camp ah, so the 4th of July is a little darker than it once was at Camp Ojibwe. Yeah. But, um, everyone who's ever been, everyone I've talked to who had any part of that mm -hmm. is like one of their favorite jobs at camp ever. They always talk about the fireworks as being so cool. So thinking about, about camp, like what are the things that make you keep wanting to go back here after your early, I mean, early on and then I, even later? I think despite the fact that I wasn't uh, the athletic type, I did. I made friends there, and I just had the desire. Just, I'm going back to camp, and and as when I became um, a counselor, right? I think maybe when I started on the waterfront, and I became friends with closer friends with Marty Salzman and and Mike Bagan and Elliot. Um, you know, those guys would all go up to camp early to open up camp. Right. So I started doing that. Mm. When I was, I think when I was in cabin 13, I went home from camp and then a couple of friends from camp were going back up for post. Oh. So their post camp was two weeks, I don't know, I assume they still mm -hmm. do it, yeah. where the, the families rent out Absolutely. cabins. 
And um, that was my first post camp. And from then on, I always went up uh, to post camp. So the season was eight weeks, but I was always there for 11. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, we had fun. We'd set up the camp and have a lot of fun. And and then post camp was great. And um, actually, I, I, I pissed off the Schwartzes one year. Uh, and which which led to, uh, I'll I'll tell you the story. So, uh, <laughs> so counselors who stayed up for post camp could stay for free if they waited tables for the guests. Okay. So no problem. Um, my first few years of post camp, I you know I understood that was fine. Um, but then when I got to the waterfront. The, um, they also expected me to drive boats and, mm. you know, sure. organize, and all the organize the, the activities for the families. But they didn't say I had to stop waiting. And I, and I said, I don't get any free time up here. After the meal, or during the meal, I'm waiting. And during activity times, I'm right. doing the waterfront for the guests. And so I, I complained and I said, if I'm going to do the waterfront, which I don't mind doing, I don't think I should have to wait tables. And so it was, it was okay. Um, and I was not invited back the next year. Wow. And, um, and then, uh, and I was planning to not come back to camp. My one of my I was in my college friend David Homer, who became a counselor eventually. Um, uh, we were planning to go down to Miami and be pool boys for the summer, and uh, it's the sixties, you know, late sixties. Sure. And um, and one night I get a call, and uh, I can't remember if it was Marty or Mike Bagan, and and. I say, come over to the Schwartzes. And I saw they lived, they lived right. up in Lakeshore and Belmont, and we lived on Lakeshore and Grace. So I went up to the Schwartzes, and it was like a, it was like an intervention. <laughs> wow! It was to make amends because Marty said, "I want Dave Gertz back." And so I was thinking, you know, it's Marty and and Al and Pearl and. Uh, and Mike Bagan, and I can't remember if Mickey was there. Probably, I'm not sure. Um, I can't remember if Denny was there or not. But, but I, you know, I made amends with the Schwartzes, <laughs> and, and I got my waterfront job back again. Excellent. As and you, assistant. I see. And I, I can't remember. I think after, from then on. The guy on the waterfront who stayed for post camp did not have to wait tables. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. You made a change. So, I, I guess I changed the system. <laughs> I will tell you that these days it has reverted. The guy who runs the waterfront during post camp does, in fact, also wait tables usually. But it's more by choice. Than, we'll have to fight Denny on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. I was at camp for a lot of years, and I'd heard about post-camp, but I'd never bothered. And one year, um, I took over all the video work and everything for camp, and it was just a big change in how much stuff I had to do at camp. So by the time camp came to the end, I wasn't really done. Mm -hmm. And uh, Denny was like, why don't you just stay for post? You can wait tables and do whatever, mm -hmm. and you'll have extra time, and you can finish up the work. 
great. I was there about six hours. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. I want to be a post-camp every year. I don't care about <laughs> camp anymore. Um, uh, I'll tell you another little story. We'll go and we keep jumping back and forth camp sure, against again. Yeah. Um, I skipped my high school graduation to go to camp. Wow. <laughs> That's great. To go up early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not sure if my parents were happy about it. But, well, sure. But I said, I got to go up to camp. I'm right. sorry. You'd be walking in a cap and gown or you'd be putting the peers in. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> How's there even a choice? Yeah, I talked to so many guys who, you know, whether it's that year or the next year, they, they're going to school and they decide they can't go back to camp because they need to make a little money for mm-hmm. the summer or something. And, and there's not a soul that doesn't say, I wish I wish I'd switched it. You mm-hmm. know, that $2,000 I made working that <laughs> summer will never make up for missing a year of camp when I could have had it yeah. before life begins or whatever. But you had a pretty good run before life begins. I mean, it is tough. In the, talking to guys, I don't talk to a lot of guys who have as long of a run as you. Yeah. Um, because it does seem like, and, and maybe it's a different generation, but, mm-hmm. and, but I guess it's still sort of similar guys who... There's only so long you can keep coming back. Right. Before you're either a lifer, you live at camp, <laughs> or you got to go do whatever you do. Make a living yeah. and have a family or whatever it is. So, you had a good run. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good <laughs> run. And then went back after I moved, graduated college, went back to California, moved to California. I think I probably visited camp maybe three or four times. We, I was on the first winter trip up to uh, Eagle River. Uh, nice. With Mike Fagan and Elliot and uh, Lou Mager. Okay. And um, we went to the World Championship Snowmobile Derby in yeah. Eagle River. It is the and Snowmobile Capital of the yeah, World. We, we, we rented snowmobiles and went around and we went, we went to camp. We had uh, lunch. Katie Evans cooked us lunch because she, she was the... Uh, the cook there for many, many, right. many years. And she lived she there lived around. She had house. her own cabin, yeah. So we went and visited her, and she cooked us, she made us lunch, I think. I think she did. That's fantastic. And yeah, and we just hung out, and we had a, a bunch of slides, and we, I remember the following summer, we had a slideshow for our winter trip. Mm. And then the slides got lost. Oh. I, and I, I, we could never figure out where they were. Mm. Um, we just, we had, I remember they were on one of those carousel slide projector trays. Sure. And nobody can figure out what happened to them. Wow. I've heard a little bit about one specific snowmobile trip. Uh, the, one the one with Elliot. Yes, yeah, I heard course. that. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but I didn't realize that it, it really did kind of become an institution for a while. That yeah. there was this right. ongoing winter trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, do you have any sense of when that would have started? Like 60... Seven, oh no no later later than that more like 69 70 mm. somewhere around there during your time you're there for some of the highlight athletic years as oh, far as camp yeah. goes as far as real premier guys mm-hmm. being there and um who were some of those guys you remember oh uh, lee cone he was the famous uh he was like a great athlete at camp yeah yeah everybody was everybody uh was in awe of Lee Cohn's athleticism. Mm. And I mean, there were guys in different groups. So um, Mike Bagan and uh, Jim Nachman, uh, softball players. Nock was always a, also a good basketball player. Mm. 
And, he was a pretty tall guy. Yeah, he was a big guy. And uh, I remember, like, general swim time, the, um, the kids would go on the pitcher's mound and lob balls for the counselors to hit. So, Nock was a lefty. Ah. Not, and he was a power hitter. And he would knock balls on the mess hall roof. Wow. <laughs> During general swim. And I remember one time he, he hit a ball. It was a, a hall ball, we used to call him. Hit a ball on the roof, and all of a sudden, Pearl comes on the camp PA system. <laughs> Jim Nachman, Jim Nachman, stop hitting softballs on the mess hall roof. <laughs> and and Nach goes, yes, Pearl. <laughs> and he had, a, he had to switch his stance to start hitting the tree bend. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. You talk about uh, Pearl a little bit. <clears throat> At that time, did did you as a camper, or maybe even in the grander sense, do you feel like campers in general, were you able to have kind of a personal relationship with Alan Pearl, or sort of, was there any personal connection, or was it more like, we're the directors, and we see you once in a while, we wave? Uh, no, I mean, I think, I think most kids had a personal connection to Alan Pearl, and they, they felt like family when you were up at camp, and I was always, you know, hey, Alan Pearl, I pretty much remembered everybody's name, or a nickname of some sort for everybody but Pearl always remembered everybody's name and and being there for so long um I you know it's there was always some a good relationship with Pearl yeah a very respectful relationship and and she was always very nice to me Mm -hmm. Uh, except for the time that I pissed him off (laughs) (laughs) right well that's definitely what I've heard is that while she was definitely the iron fist of the two that um at, at the end of the day, deep down, she really was also the one who kind of secretly takes care of everybody, too. Like, she's the mother of the group, even though right. she has to be the tough mother sometimes, yes. so yes. to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, the, the Schwartzes were always nice people. They yeah. Very nice to me. And you're there, um, you basically start at the same time as another very prominent figure of Camp Ojibwe, and that's Denny Rosen. So Den- yes, Denny and I both started in 1959, I remember. Uh, he was a little older than me. But. Sure, he had you by a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, any, uh, any great memories of early Denny and his rambunctious climb to the top of the program director level? Yeah, I, I, don't, I only remember Denny as he became program director. When I started, I think my first year, Mickey was program director, and my second year, Sid Novak came back. The, right, uh, that first year yeah. Sid was working or something, he yeah. was gone that year. Yeah, and and then I think Denny took over shortly after that. And, you know, I think Sid was only there for one summer that I can remember being there, and then either back to Mickey and then to Denny or right to Denny. But um, you know, Denny was always a tough guy. Still, are I'm sure Denny. <laughs> 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 and um, everybody was respected and was a little fearful of Denny. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't call him the mad dog for nothing. That's, uh, you know, you don't want to get a lip rip. (laughs) I I can't remember any incidents that I had with him. That's for the best then. Yeah. Um, Later on, again, sort of jumping around, uh, as your counselor, does going out at night or having a the social life aspect is that because oh, yeah. of your counselor? I, I remember I would I would hang out with with Marty and Mike Bagan and we'd go into town. That was the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Occasionally, we'd go to Manaqua. Oh, that's uh, but that was kind of a long drive. Yeah, it's kind but of most long. most of the time we'd go into Eagle River, and we'd go down to Floyd's Bar. Okay. Which was <laughs> below the movie theater. We weren't drinkers, but we'd go and we'd play pinball. Oh. And drink. There you go. Drink Coca Cola. Yeah. You know, or, you know, there's some kind of a, or maybe I'm I'm oh, I'm thinking of Zimpleman's. Also, we go to Zimpleman's, the, the which was the that's ice the cream parlor, the right, soda yeah. fountain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, just you know, have a soda there, but that's m- mostly I remember going down to Floyd's yeah. and just hanging out down there. And, and did the other, like the girls' camps, or I guess the, I assume there were girls' camps, did the other camps also do that, or was that kind of just an Ojibwe place? Um, the other girl, well, the closest girls' camp to us was Maramita. Yes. Which we did not have a relationship. I was going to say, in those days, they were yeah. persona non grata, right? Yes, that was it. I I don't know that I ever knew the reason for it, but I think the story is that the guy who started Maramita was a business partner with Al. Oh, okay. And it went. Now I think I yeah. yeah now you're jogging my memory. I yeah. think uh, I remember that. And it didn't go well. Yeah. Whatever, whatever it may have been. Yeah, Maramita and. Um, Chippewa was the girls' camp. I remember having socials with them as a kid. And uh, it's funny because my wife and I live up in Sun Valley, Idaho, and uh, friends that were my wife's friends when I met her there are from the mid. The wife is from the Midwest. Mm. And it turns out she went to one of the camps around there, and she's about the same age. We were probably at a social together. That's That's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the network just stretches out. Yeah. Uh, what does the social look like back then? Uh, I remember we... Well, there was the social where they came to us and then the ones where we went to them. I remember a camp social in the counselor's lodge one year. It was just, you know, a bus full of girls would pull up and you'd kind of, you know... <laughs> and there were some guys who were movers, and there were some guys who were shy, like me. Sure. And uh, uh, we just all, you know, they put on some music, and uh, under the watchful eye of Pearl. Of course. <laughs> if it was at camp, if it was away, it was under the watchful eye of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't remember much of that. I just, and then probably about seven o'clock or somewhere something like that they they leave it was always on a tuesday night it was on a trip night mm-hmm. so that the rest of the camp was gone pretty much oh i see so it wouldn't be a whole camp social it wouldn't be uh, no it was, it was always just certain cabins i see like uh cabin like the cabin 12 trip is a socialist this week i see i see and so or, presumably from their camp too it's only a it's only the yeah, age group or right, right. And i i think socials were only or cabins 12 and 13, maybe. Yeah, it seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, that's about all I remember from the socials. Yeah. I remember um, visiting weekends. Mm. Um, my, my parents had some friends who lived in Manaqua, and my parents would stay with them when they'd come up. Oh, that's nice. Had a summer home in Manaqua. Yeah. And so they, when I was an older camper... They got special permission for me to leave camp because campers were not supposed to leave camp right. on visiting weekends back right. then. 
That's a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. I was very fortunate to do that. And I've recently, dis and, and I, I guess, probably when I was a junior counselor or so, I, uh, on one of those visits, Elliot came with me, and I have some pictures to prove it. <laughs> nice. I have some old uh, slides that were taken. I remember Elliot and I standing on the dock at my parents' friend's house. That's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, it was a zoo when the parents came up. I'm sure. Oh, I, the, I remember parking cars. The, the junior counselors were, were the car valets. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> now we just stick them all out in the far field. We just like, yeah, that yeah, back, back then, they, they pile them up in the front and just, you know, keep working their way back. Oh, of course. Down the road. And, and the junior counselors were the guys to do it. A couple of junior counselors weren't such great drivers. And, <laughs> <laughs> but it was always crazy that weekend. Yeah. yeah. And, and as a counselor, I remember after hours, if you had your night off on visiting weekend, all the counselors, it was a big deal to be invited to go over to, um, what was the big... Um, place where all the parents would, would... Eagle Waters? Eagle Waters. Yes. Yes. We would go over to the Waters, it was called. Oh, very nice. <laughs> and hang out with the parents, and that was a big deal for the counselors back then. Yeah. yeah it was a little upscale. For sure. <laughs> a little classier than your normal night at Zimbleman's. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. So, all told, this was, this was your camp life. You've been back to visit a, a few times, but you're a grown-up now and uh, have led a long life post-camp. How would you say uh, your time at Camp Ojibwa affected that life? Ah, um, I think I mentioned that. It, it's affected it deeply on a, a spiritual level for me. It's, mm -hmm. Camp has always been there. It's, it's never left me. And I haven't been there in, you know, a few years now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I still remember the friends there and still like to think that I have friends, even though I haven't kept that in touch with them. Barry and Ken, Barry Feldman mm -hmm. and Ken Roth, who yeah. just recently got in touch with me. I haven't spoken to them in maybe 40, 45 years. Wow. That's awesome. That's why I can't think of them as being as old as they are. Right. Yeah, and Barry, one of them said, yeah, I've got, I've got kids. Yeah, and I, my son lives in L.A. One of them has grandkids, and it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> You're not old enough to be married yet. <laughs> um, but it, it's always there. And you see, I've got my Camp Ojibwe keychain, 40th anniversary. 40th anniversary, which was roughly 50 years ago. <laughs> yes. I'm waiting for 90. I've, I've never, for some reason, I've not, uh, I guess because of the, there is no email list or anything mm -hmm. to hear about. Ojibwe events in Chicago. I'm, I'm hoping that I'll uh, go back for the 90th. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, spoiler alert, that um, we're planning the 90th. We're actually going to do it uh, in celebration of the 90th summer, not the 90th year. Huh? So it's going to be next year. Wow. And it's going to probably be about now next year. It'll lead into the summer so that we can kind of turn it into a whole summer-long celebration. Mm -hmm. So we'll start with a big party in Chicago and then do events up there as well for anyone who wants to make that travel also. Uh. So keep your uh, keep next April clear. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but but camp has always been a big part of me. Yeah. It's just, 
Um, and I, I, I love it. It's always, it's always there. I dream about it occasionally. Wow. Nice. That's awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, the last thing I always ask everyone, if you have just one more great little camp story. I have, I have a story. You might have to clear it with Denny. Fair enough. <laughs> it's a good start. I don't know how many people know this, but it was a, it was a secret for many years. One night, I was assistant waterfront director with Marty in the shack. Denny knocks on the door and says, it's the middle of the night. Need some help. And I think, I think Mickey was there and Mike Fagan was there and Marty Salzman and myself and Denny. And we had to tackle the naked raving shop guy. <laughs> what? How does that happen? <laughs> Maybe it was paint fumes. This was this this was the late sixties, and there have been many theories, but uh, we'll just leave it at paint fumes. <laughs> so he's just out and about doing his thing. Out and about doing his thing, <laughs> and uh, he, needless to say, he wasn't there. From the next day on. Wow. That's tremendous. So I don't know how many people ever knew that story, but it was <laughs> a secret for many years. Yeah. Top secret op black ops. There you go. That's what's yeah. happening. That's incredible. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Dave Gertz, great time. Like I said, he was awesome. A lot of great stories. One thing we touched on in the interview, we talked about the 90th party that's coming up next year. I mentioned April in the podcast, but of course now we've settled on the first Saturday in May. So put uh, put that in your calendar. Get ready for OJ90. As always, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at org. I love hearing from you guys. I love hearing your stories through the email. And of course, questions, comments, suggestions, red velvet cake recipes, whatever you got, I'm game. I am finally better. I'm finally no longer sick. And it was brought to my attention that I should, in fact, credit the medical staff and, of course, Camp Ojibwe's own medical director, George Sachs, for helping usher me back to healthy living. So thank you guys so much. The amoxicillin went a long way, and now I can finally head out to Campfire Site 9. <laughs> <laughs>